the, the title of the message is Saved by Grace Through Faith. And if you are familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know right away that it's in the second chapter, verse 8 and 9-ish. Uh, 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 verses often used in explaining the gospel to people uh, so that they might get saved. We'll, we'll walk through it. So, as I have told you, that especially when we go sort of through an epistle, that I like to review a little bit quickly for you to, in your mind, to be triggered with what has happened in the past, with what we talked about in the past, so that you not only can remember better what we talked about then, but also get a, a feel for how the epistle is woven together, how it flows together, how it is built, and what, how, uh, not only the content, but also the context of it. So that you have a bit of an understanding that when you hear somebody say, by grace I saved through faith, that, that you know, ah, that's in Ephesians. Uh, I, I believe it's the second chapter. Uh, I believe it's verse 8. Uh, 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 but you may not know the verse, but you know the, 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 uh, approximately where, where it is. And you know a little bit of how the epistle is woven together. Now, Paul was a, an intellectual, yes? We know very well that he was an intellectual. He has been, he'd been trained in all kinds of ways. And so when he writes, as Christians, often we take... Uh, verses, and we take one verse, and then we build a doctrine on one verse. And whether it is in context or not in context. Um, I can do all things through Christ. is one of the most the abused verses because people say, I can do all things through Christ. Well, what does that mean? Uh, I can steal. No, that, so it means something, right? Uh, and so God gives us power to do the things that are of His, that He wants us to do. He gives us power for that. And those things, I can do all of those things because He's going to give me the strength through Christ Jesus. Yes? So, so there is a context and there is a, a, a wovenness uh, that we can feel and sense how Paul has built this epistle because it is tied together. Chapter 1 might not be tied with chapter 4. It is in some way, but then he talks about a couple of different things. But nevertheless, it is tied in with chapter 2. Okay, and then it flows into chapter 3 and chapter, chapter 4 and so on and so forth. So uh, this is the purpose of me reviewing a little bit of what we have talked about. So, we talked about chapter 1, verse 13. We saw the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation. And we talked what the seal means. A seal means uh, a finished transaction. So that what Christ on the cross did and in the resurrection was a finished transaction for our salvation. Everything that needed to be done for our salvation was done right there. Finished transaction. Now, we still have to walk through it, but in God's mind, it was all finished, all done. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a little, bit, a little bit more. So, a seal, a finished transaction. And it also, a seal is also a mark of ownership. When you put your seal on it, it is because you own it. Or a seal could also be a sign of security. You, you sent uh, uh, an envelope through, with a friend to me, and you put a seal on that envelope. That means if the seal is broken, there was no security. But because you're a person in authority, that person wouldn't dare breaking the seal because it would be very obvious to me that the seal is broken and that he tampered with it. So, security. Uh, and then, uh, fourthly, the seal is also a symbol or a sign of authenticity, that this is truly from that person that you say it is. 
authenticity. Okay? Um, and then we have, uh, in, in verse 15, Paul is making sort of like an introduction to a, a prayer that he had prayed for the Ephesian church. And in the introduction over there, he is speaking, uh, uh, writing to them, uh, listen, here in Rome, all the way in Rome, you are two water bodies away from me there in Ephesus. Here in Rome in the prison, I heard a testimony about you. And your testimony that I heard here was about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's verse, uh, verse 15 and 16 in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I'd love for you to follow along because that way you, you, you hear it and you see it. It, it works better. Are, are, you, are you there with me now? Okay. So I hear uh, about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hear about your love for all the saints. Now that word all the saints over there means all the saints. That all the saints that he is in contact with, and all the saints that he is potentially going to be in contact with. This is what love is about. Love is not about choosing. Love is not about once in a while. Love is not what you do between two crises. <laughs> okay? Between two crises, you love like crazy, but when there's a crisis, there's, where is the love? No, 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 no. Love actually is more meaningful in the crisis. <laughs> so, love for all the saints. All the saints. That means... All kinds of things. Poor, rich, in between. There's denomination, that denomination. There are saints. He says, I love you. All the saints. And then he goes on to say that I give thanks for you. When I pray, I give thanks for you. Yeah. I give thanks for you when I pray. I'm thankful for you. And I want to express that to God. And I express it also to other people. That you won't believe what I say about you. What a great church you are. What a church of no issues. No power plays. No ego trips. Okay? This is not in every church. <laughs> if you've been involved, if you've been on the fringes of, the, of churches, you, 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 everything is fine. But when you get involved in a church on the inner workings of the church, my dear brothers and sisters, it gets messy sometimes. So, and that's not where I want to be. And I, so that's not where we are. So I give thanks for you. And he says, and listen, Ephesian church, I, I, I lift you before the Father consistently and often. So consistently, not meaning once a year consistently, but consistently and often. That's what it means in the original language. So, so he talks here then about prayer. And he, he introduced the prayer that is coming on now. That is how he introduced it. So now he is going to speak to us or write to us, to the Ephesian church, but by extension to us. He is writing one of the prayers that he prayed for them. Okay? Are you with me? So now we are in verse 17 through 21-ish. Okay? And he prays in 17 that the Father of glory, I mentioned to you it is actually the Father of the glory. And in, in the Greek, it, it, the, the definite article has, a, has a, a specific, adds specific meanings to it. So the, the Father of the glory is not just any glory. 
It is the Father of the glory, the Father to whom all the glory belongs. The Father of the glory. He says, I'm praying to him that he would give you the spirit of wisdom. Such that that spirit is resident in you. So that you don't have to wonder if you're going to have godly wisdom or not. It is resident in you. That's what he's praying for. And that the spirit of revelation would be resident in you. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning the knowledge of, of God. Now, my brothers and sisters, the last many, many weeks, I've been praying, Father, that I may know you in a deeper way. Father, that I may know you better. Yes, Lord. I also want to know more about you. But no, I want to know you more. It is one thing. Excuse me. It is one thing to know about somebody, and it's another thing to know that person. A whole different deal. So, when you know somebody... You, you know sort of their heartbeat. You know what they are about. Yes? Uh, I, I gave an example one time. I was speaking to a bunch of uh, 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 couples at, uh, at, at the Omni Hotel. There, there was a big hoopla thing. Uh, and they asked me to be the speaker. And, and so I spoke to them. And I, I gave the example of knowing somebody. And I mentioned to them, uh, Don Lavelle was in the, in the audience, and I say, he is one of my best friends, and I know him. I don't just know about him. I know his heartbeat. So if somebody would say to me, Don said these crazy, mean things about you, I would tell that person, ah, no, 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 you misunderstood him. I know him. He would, he would not say things like that about me. I know him. So, uh, excuse me if I dismiss what you, sh- you just shared with me. Because it is simply either misunderstood or maybe you heard it secondhand or, or, or whatever. You know how that goes. Secondhand and thirdhand and fourthhand and tenthhand. But the tenthhand it is a whole different story. So, um, so anyways. So, that, that, that also gets me... I sidetrack just a little bit. You know, when, when you hear something, double check. Double check. Don't just take something that is fifth hand and then make a, a deal about it. Anyways. So, um, so this spirit of wisdom and revelation has to do with knowing the Father better. And then he says that the eyes of your heart, your, your uh, Bible might read, that the eyes of your understanding, and, and this is what it means in the original language, that it might be in a permanent state of illumination. So when you read that, that it might be enlightened, uh, this is what it, it means, that it might be in a permanent state of illumination concerning three things. One, concerning that they may know the hope of His calling. Two, that they may know the riches of the glory that his inheritance is in the saints. Okay? That is difficult to understand because if you just read over it, you're thinking that the saints have an inheritance. No. The saints are the inheritance in this scenario. The saints are the inheritance of the Father. Are you with me? So that, that, that is a whole different angle than when heaven is our inheritance. This is the inheritance of the Father. And he says he wants us to know, and Paul is praying, that we may come to an understanding of how that God looks at us saints who believe in his son Jesus Christ. With such gusto, with such delight, <laughs> 
And if he didn't know it, and I didn't know that, I knew it years ago because I've studied it before, but I mean, before I knew it, but knew this, uh, uh, that gave me such a boost that this is how my father in heaven looks at me. It's a priceless inheritance. Because he says, he calls it the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, that we may know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. That we may know the exceeding greatness of the power that God has made available to us. And he goes on to say, we, we, we may as well read it, I, I suppose. Uh, although I don't want to park over that because we have other things to talk about also. But he talks in verses uh, and, and 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? That is where I finished my, my third point. But it goes on because I didn't want to make it too long. But in the verses, it is longer. And it goes on like this. Uh, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. This is the power that God has made available to us. My dear brothers and sisters, that we have the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, that is greater than any name in all of the universe. Or, I would like to say, that is greater than all of the names in the universe combined. And this is the power that he's made available to us. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more here. Uh, and then we go to chapter 2, and he says that God has caused us to be alive. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead, stinky, couldn't do anything for ourselves. Um, and then he goes on to say that we used to walk according to three, according to the desires of three of our enemies. And these are our main enemies. The first one is the world. He says, we were walking according to what the world was telling us to do. And we didn't have the weapons against it. We succumbed because this is who we were. We were lost people, not being able to avail ourselves to the power of God through Jesus Christ. So we, we walked along the the ways of the world. Now, it is important. Somebody, when I explained this, somebody said to me, and I forget now who, who it was, says to me, I, I, I just for the first time understood what it means, the world. Because I thought it was the people in the world. The people of the world. Oh, no. It's not the people in the world. We're supposed to make relationships with the people in the world. Otherwise, how are we going to lead them to Christ? This is, this is what we are supposed to do. So that we can lead those people to, to Jesus Christ. And it's not speaking about the people in the world. It's speaking about the, the, the spirit of the world. It speaks about the worldliness of the world. That is why it says in the book of James that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Because it's not the people in the world. It is that if we, if we befriend, if we flirt, if we live like the spirit of the world, boom. He says, no, that's no go. So, but before we are believers, then this is what we walk like Paul is saying over here. But it is also still a threat for us who are, who are believers. Because the influence of the world never stops. Then the secondly, he says that uh, we, we, we were walking according to Satan's influence. Satan's, uh, Satan and his cronies. Yes, you see it over there? 
the spirit that walketh, that worketh in the sense of disobedience, uh, the, according to the prince of the power of the air. That is the enemy, Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. Yes? You understand that? So, before we were saved, we had no wherewithal to defend ourselves against the influence of the enemy, Satan. We were stuck. This is how we were walking. Because we were sons of disobedience. And then thirdly, he says that our third enemy then and still is, but now we have the power to overcome the third enemy, our flesh. Our evil lower nature, the flesh, that was king over us before we were saved. Not any longer. Now Jesus is king over us. And whereas our fleshly desires were king over us and had dominion over us, no mas. We have dominion over it because of the power of the resurrection that is described here in in, in more detail than just that. Uh, So, I think we're looking at that uh, uh, here a little bit later. So, this is, (laughs) and then he says, this is how we're walking. But God who is rich in mercy, has caused us to be alive. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And he says then, by grace you are saved. This is verse 5. This is how we ended last week. By grace are you saved. This This expression, by grace are you saved, or some translation might say, by grace you have been saved. In the original language, it makes things considerably clearer, more clear, of what this means. There is a a Greek scholar that I love to study from, uh, his writings, and his name is Kenneth Wiest. Kenneth Wiest, if you ever want to look him up, W-U-E-S-T. Kenneth Wiest, a Greek scholar. And he says that in the original language, this is what it says. The, 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 very, the very, by grace you have been saved, or by grace you are saved, that very phrase, this is what it says. Because it is in, the, in a tense, in the, in the Greek, of something that has happened in the past, that was completed and is still present, has still present results today in the present time. Okay? So, he says, by grace you have been saved in past time completely with the result that you are in a state of salvation that persists through present time. I'll read it again. By grace you have been saved in, in past time completely with the result that you are in a state of salvation that persists through present time. Now, to read it in the Greek is very important because some people struggle with the idea that they think that they might lose their salvation. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a point of this to talk about that, that thing. The very way that Paul writes it. Because Paul didn't write it in English, yes? He wrote it in the Greek. So he wrote it the way Kenneth Wiest is saying that it says. Are you with me? He, he, he translates the Greek. So Paul makes it very clear that there is an, an unending state of salvation. And could not have made it more clear or any stronger. Um... I don't know why people have the idea that they can lose their salvation. It, it, it doesn't make any, any sense to me. So I'll, let me draw your attention to a couple of things. Um, 
Because it is grace, there is nothing that you could do, nothing can that you could do that you could pay, absolutely nothing at all that you could do to get salvation. Nothing. It is all what Jesus Christ did on the authority of his father. To die on the cross, and then the father raised him from the dead. And on that cross, he bore the sin of everyone. The whole world, the scripture says. So, now, I'll, I'll go there in just a second. In Hebrews 7, 25, so we read that we haven't just been saved, saved by faith, but we have been saved to the uttermost. The author of Hebrews, do uh, uh, you, you realize that Paul often is redundant? I say, Paul, you're redundant. I, I wonder why he was so redundant. I, I sort of have my personal opinion is that he was redundant because he, he doesn't want us to miss it. You know, he says, you know, uh, I did this. I did it in the past and was complete. And in the present time, it is still complete. The results are as, as, as before, and they will last forever. Because when you're speaking about the present time, yes, tomorrow when, you, when you're there, that is the present time. Yes? Uh, uh, the opposite, you know, a story goes that a restaurant was advertising free food tomorrow. <laughs> the people came the next day and says, no, free food tomorrow. And they came, no, free food tomorrow. Okay? So, but here, with us, I must tell you that We live either in the past or in the future. For us, the present time only exists. For, for, boom. Faster than you can wink. Uh, with God, it is the opposite. God lives in the present time. You follow what I'm saying? That is why, that is why God could take care of all your sins 2,000 years ago. Because for him, it was the present time. He knew exactly what sins that you were going to commit. And those sins were on the, Jesus' shoulders on the cross. Are you following me? So it is not like, I'm going to surprise God tomorrow. I'm going to do a sin he didn't know I was going to do. There's not such a thing. He knows it all. Because, see, we live in the present. So when we say present time, when we say present, time is in the future. When we say time, present is already in the past. And we, one or the other, we just, boom, we just have just this much to live in the present time. But God sees everything in the present time, so there is no surprises with him. 2,000 years ago, he could, he could arrange the books. And right in heaven, as he went to my file and pulled the folder, he pulled my folder. Oh, poor man. Wow. But then he wrote in the folder, he says, All these sins, 10,500 lies. 10,600 white lies. My record. And he wrote on there, in the blood of Jesus, canceled out. No mass. That was not just the sins to the day that I got saved. That was not just the sins that to the day that I was saved and I got baptized. It was all my sins were taken care of 2,000 years ago. So when, when it says that by grace am I saved, I am saved, 
then am I saved? How saved am I if I can lose salvation? This grace thing is unconditional. No conditions attached. It is free. You could do nothing or anything for it. You couldn't pay nothing, period. It is unconditional. So what possible condition could there be to make that which is unconditional? Conditional. Is God not one who tells the truth or keeps his word? Did he miscalculate how much it was going to cost? Did he not have enough? Could he not figure it out? Did he want to just tease us? No, he saved us. How safe do you have to be to be saved? <laughs> and at what percentage would you lose it? 10%, 15%, 12%? Oh, he saved us 100%. And for eternity. So we have two guarantees. One, salvation is unconditional. Nothing can change it. And two, it is to the uttermost. We are really, really, really saved. And the, the whole thing depended on God in the first place. <laughs> and you had nothing to do with it. We'll find out in just a little bit that the only thing that you got to do is believe. You believe with all your heart that Jesus died for your sins and rose on the, uh, from the dead. You are saved. I'm so glad that God saved me. I was a rascal. I, I can't tell you any stories about my rascalhood, but I was a rascal. Forgive me, okay, because... I don't know why I have to drink so much. So, this is why Paul is saying, according to the original test, what Paul is, what, what Kenneth Wiest is saying, that Paul is saying, by grace you have been saved in times past completely, with the result that you are in a state of salvation that persists through the present time. Okay. Uh, then he goes on to say, and has raised us up together. And has raised us up together. You see that phrase in verse 6? Um, that, that phrase you can interpret as in that we've been raised up with him as in a future resurrection. Yes, when we die, we're raised up with him. But it has also to do with the present resurrection power. Yes? So this is always... Not always. There is often a confusion about the resurrection. Because people think almost always that it has to do with the future resurrection. Right? After we die, we're raised from the dead. But often it has to do with the present resurrection power that God has made available to us to live by, to live in victory. Because that power that God has made available to us and I don't know why, like I said, Paul is so redundant often because Paul brings it up often, this power that is available to us. And, but I think maybe he wants us to know about it, huh? I'm glad he, he emphasizes it. Because, because we are, where I'm looking from, we are billionaires living like beggars. Millionaires, billionaires, living like we have nothing. I'm speaking from a spiritual point of view. Like we don't have power to overcome the enemy, Satan. Like we don't have power to overcome the enemy, our flesh. Like we don't have power to overcome the influence of the world. The spirit of the world. That's... Do you know people like that? Do you know Christians like that? Why? I wonder. Why? So, 
we, we've raised. So that power, I'm, I'm repeating out of chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then he goes on. That he was above all principalities and powers and dominions and so on and so forth. So uh, this, is, this is the power that God has made available to us. And we're walking around like we don't have anything. Okay. And he, at verse 6, and he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, yes, uh, we are already in heavenly places. Yes. Yes. The Father sees us already seated in heavenly places. Yes, with him and in Christ. So, yes, with Christ also, but in Christ. How secure is that? But the Father also has already placed us there in heavenly places in his mind. We just have to walk through a little bit more history before we get there. But in his mind, it's already done because he lives in the present time. So how do you get out of there? (laughs) You're already there. How do you get out of there? So there's nothing anyone, anyone can do for you getting in. And there's nothing anyone can do resulting in you getting out. And that includes you yourself. So it's so clear that it's all about Jesus Christ. Our position, our power, everything that we are and everything that we have. It is because of Jesus Seated together in Christ Jesus. So now we're getting to the big, the big reason. Um, in verse 7, we're coming to the big reason that he, he is now describing uh, one of the reasons why the Father did that, did this. Let's look at verse 7 real quick over here. And he's speaking here about ages to come. That is another way of saying eternity. That in eternity and for eternity, God might show, exhibit, demonstrate the exceeding, enormous, humongous riches and surpassing wealth of his grace. Expressed because of and in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me read it one more time. I, I just put it together in my own language, in my own, in my own thought. That in eternity and for eternity, God might show, exhibit, demonstrate the exceeding, enormous, humongous riches and surpassing wealth of his grace expressed because of and in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We will be on display before the angels. The angels will be the spectators and we will be the beneficiaries of the ones who bring in glory to the Father. Because of his enormous grace. So, saved by grace. This is the third time in chapter 8 that Paul is mentioning the word grace in about four verses. Verses 5, 7, and 8. In chapter 2, Paul mentions the word grace. Um, And in in verse 8... He mentions the words, the grace, referring back to the grace that was mentioned in verse 5. The grace. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, so what did the Father do? 
have to be careful lest I trip over this thing over here. Talking about tripping, uh, when I played on the, on the college tennis team, when we won, and we won a lot, our coach would take us to a nice restaurant. And I would play a trick, and the guys always bagged me, hey, play your trick, play your trick. So as I was walking among the tables, I would trip myself and fall on the ground. And I look up all, all, all embarrassed, and the whole restaurant wa was embarrassed for me. And the guys were just laughing over there. <laughs> so I, I'm afraid that when I trip over this, you're, you're going to laugh at me. And, and, and it'd be right. Maybe I'll do it one time, and just so you can laugh. So what has the father done? The father has taken the initiative to be a blessing to us and to give us a blessing freely. We couldn't pay for it. We couldn't do anything for it freely and joyfully. It was a joy. It says in the book of Hebrews that for the joy, speaking of Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Listen to the language. He endured the cross. So the cross, that was not a fun experience. The joy was not because he was going on the cross. The joy was what the cross experience was going to do for us. That he saw how these people that he loved so much were born going to be saved. Am I getting too excited? Sorry about that. When you're talking about salvation, you've got to have, have a little excitement, okay? <laughs> oh, folks, you were saved. Well, I tell you what, my salvation experience, it was not like there were lights in the sky going off. But there were lights going off in my soul. Because when God saved me, I never looked back for one second. For one second. Never wanted to go back to where I was. Never. Not a second. Why would I want to go back? I have the creator of all the galaxies who is on my side, who would do and has done anything and everything for me to live in victory and to give me eternal life. No, I'm not looking back. I have no desire for a second to go back. So, he, he gave us a blessing. He was a blessing to us. We, we, we deserved hell, but he, he gave us the blessing of heaven and, 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 and a victorious life here on earth. He did it freely. We couldn't pay for anything. He did it joyfully for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. To us who deserve the opposite... And he did it at his expense. He paid the mullah. But there was no mullah. It was mullah in blood. He paid the price so that we could go free. He paid the price. And believe me, God knows how to do mathematics. There was plenty that he paid. There was nothing short in it. He paid the price for the purpose for our exoneration. Exoneration means to be set free. Not only for, from the sins and the trespasses that it talks in the first verse in chapter 2, that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and he's made us alive. Not only has he set us free from our sins and our, and our trespasses and the consequences of that, but he has also set us free and this is the beauty of the whole thing. Yes, everybody knows that you've been set free of your sins and your trespasses. But very few people take God up on the fact that he has set them free from their shame and their guilt. Now, brothers and sisters, you do you know how many Christians I know that walk in shame and guilt? Now, brothers and sisters, if you're going to walk in shame and guilt, you won't get out of it. Because you think you did something 
contrary to God, and you feel shame and guilt. So how long will it take before you get out of the shame and the guilt? No, 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 no. Long before you ever get out of it, you did another thing contrary to God. It's not like you did once a year. So you're walking around in guilt and shame the rest of your life. Defeated. How, how effective do you think you're going to be for the kingdom of God? As a defeated Christian. This is because Satan has lost us for eternity. Yes? This is what he wants to do to us. Keep us down. Keep us defeated. Keep us ashamed. Are you a Christian? Are you really a Christian? And you did this? You should be ashamed of yourself. So Satan always tries to get us with a double whammy. He tries to tempt us to do wrong. And when we do wrong, he shames us. <laughs> he wins two ways. He tempts us to do wrong. We do wrong. Okay, we defeat, we do wrong. And then he shames us and makes us feel guilty. Don't go there, sisters, brothers. Hey, amigo, go try somebody else. Don't mess with me. Because Jesus has set me free from all of that. Jesus has set me free from all of that. We'll see you later. Y'all take care. Jesus has set me free from all of that. So you go try somebody else. Stop with me. You won't have any success with me. And I'm not walking in my own strength, amigo. I'm walking in the power and in the, in the authority of the one that will beat you any day of the week. My big brother. I'm calling my big brother on you. <laughs> so where are we? Where are we? So all of this. We get to appropriate for ourselves. And we get to apprehend it. If we would just believe. If we would just have faith in what Christ has done for us. Now my dear brothers and sisters. Is there a better deal in all of the universe? To get all that for free? If you just believe with all your heart. So he goes on to say. So by faith are you saved. By grace are you faith, through, saved. Through faith. By grace are you saved. Through faith. The, the faith is the instrumentality through which you get to apprehend it for yourself. And appropriate it for yourself. The faith is what makes it yours. God has already made the arrangements for you 2,000 years ago. By faith, now that becomes yours. And then I close with uh, verse 10. You, you understand the other phrases also, for it is a gift of God, not of works, lest, we, uh, lest anyone should boast. So he says, you, you can't do it. Uh, 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 nobody's in heaven going to say, hey, look what I did. And, and nothing like that is going to happen. It's all Jesus that did it. So you're not going to be able to boast. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus uh, from the beginning, that we should walk in good works. So we are his workmanship. So we don't get to work. He did all the work. We are his workmanship. Another translation might say, we, might, we are his masterpiece. Masterpiece. That is what you are. That is what Christ has made you. His masterpiece. There is not another masterpiece like you. My sister. There is not another masterpiece like you. And you are not my masterpiece. Although you are my sister. But you are his masterpiece. Don't forget it, sister. Okay. His masterpiece. And he says we are created beforehand from eternity to walk in good works. 
that good works should be part of our walk. That is how Christians walk, in good works. May I give you a definition of what I, what I define good works as, so that we are not mistaken what good works are? Okay? So I give you my definition. That which I do for others, out of love, in obedience to the Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God. I read it one more time. Not that because I'm so proud of it, but, you, you know, if, if you think it's, it's, it's okay, if you have a better one, I'll take it. Give it to me. I'll, I'll make my notes right now, and I'll take it. I, I love a good definition because often we read about things, but we don't know, really know exactly what it means. So what is good works? Well, um, so you're doing things that God hasn't even ordained. I'll check it with him. Now, when it's in his word, then you know it is of God. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to love that woman over there like Christ loved the church. And I know it. And so, when I go to the Father, and I want to do those kind of good works, He gives me the power so that I can love her more. I can do those kind of good works. That I know, that because that is in the Word of God. But you don't always know exactly. So sometimes we shoot, pop, 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 and we think these are good works. No, no, no. It is that I do for others out of love, in obedience to the Father. The Father has something to do with it. In the name of Jesus, He has something to do with it. In the power of the Holy Spirit, He's got something to do for the glory of God. And not for my glory or for anybody else's glory. For the glory of God. Yes, sir. Do I have a, a screen of my definitions? Which, anyone in particular? Okay. The, the one that I just, it, it's, it's right there. Yes. And I, I, I have notes over here. I, 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 I sent you a copy of my notes, no problem, by, by email. No problem. Uh, uh, if you want them... <laughs> You, you can have them. They're they not for my, 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 my personal keeps. I want to share them as much as possible. If it helps somebody, by all means. Right? So, let us pray.